You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and uh, in Ontario there are lots of place names that come directly from Ireland. Just out the road there's Navan and there's Baileyborough, there's Killarney, there's Westmeath, um, there's a street there in Ottawa, Borough Sakane, there's even an Athlone Street in Ottawa. But place names are... There's so much history tied into place names. And in Ireland, you know, there was the play that uh, was involved in translations, which was the anglicization of names. And in that, many were lost. Well, John Creedon, whom I'm sure many of you listen to on RTE, because I know I do. It's a great time for us, 3 p.m. in the afternoon to 5 p.m. John Creedon has put out Creedon's Atlas of Ireland. And he's a man on a mission uh, teasing and exploring the true meaning behind some of Ireland's most unusual, iconic and famous place names. John, thanks a million for coming along for a chat. Not at all, Austin. I'm absolutely thrilled. I have plenty of Canadian connections myself. Uh, I have a sister still living in Newfoundland in St. John's, and I had a brother and sister who are home now, but were living in Vancouver, in uh, one on Vancouver Island, and once up in Prince Philip for a while, and then in Vancouver City itself. So we, we've straddled Canada. I still, well, I've made it. I've only been to Newfoundland. That's it. But some other day, it's it's in the plan. It's in the bucket list. But um, no, it's great to be talking to you because I do get messages um, on Twitter and. Uh, to the radio show from listeners. Uh, Ottawa pops up occasionally. There seems to be quite a few in Ontario. So whenever I play Neil Young or something like that, I get a message saying, wow, it's gas to hear Neil Young. It's like calls to Newcastle, listening to you here in, in Ontario. So yeah. um, they're out there all right. Thank God for internet and everything else. It's, it's just a godsend. Yeah, I, I, well, what I'm doing, Austin, is I suppose I'm fulfilling a kind of a childhood ambition. I always had a great draw for the place names of Ireland. I, I grew up in Cork City, but my mom and dad were both from West Cork and both from beautiful areas. My father from Inchkeela in that lake district, district there near Gugon Barra with those beautiful glacial lakes and fen and foxes and pheasant and pike fishing and all of that. My mother from about 40 miles further west out on the Beira Peninsula with the Atlantic Ocean rolling in there and just... That, that peninsula, like even as a child, it always reminded me as a sort of a defiant finger pointing out at the Atlantic. No matter what the sea threw at it, the rock stayed. And that, I suppose, is true of the people too. But, but just in the car, my mom and dad will be talking about, uh, you're at Maglor from Cain Corabula, and I'm listening to the poetry and the music and the, the, the melody in some of the place names. Near my father's place, there was the townland Tirnaspidoiga, the land of the robins. There was Paul and Arrogate, the hole with the money. Sure, like any little boy wanted to get a, a message to text from go on thing. So, the, so the, for me, as a little boy, um, I just love the sound of our place names. I had good Irish up to leaving start, did my honours Irish and all that, but then discovered girls and drink and everything else, and the Irish kind of late fellow for years. But I went back and I produced, I went back to university in UCC and did a two-year folklore diploma in, in, in place names and all the rest of it, but... So what I've done is over the years, my interest and my fascination for this has grown. So in the last 12 months, I've produced a book called That Place We Call Home. Um, and that is really a kind of a journey through the evolution of Irish place names from mythology all the way through the Celtic place names, the names for Ireland from Eru, the original Celtic goddess that gave her name to this island, all the way through to Iron, as Pythias the Greek called it, to Hibernia, as the Romans called it, to Aaron, Seerstoth the Heron, and then through independence and through the decoupling from London, 
how we've arrived at this situation where we are the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, and how that might well change again. So it's, that's in the book, that place we call home, and that is incidentally available internationally, online, wherever you get your books. I know there are a number of them in, 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 in Ireland who distribute it. But anyway, that's the book. And what I've done there is at the back I put a glossary because people are constantly asking me, what does Ballybeg mean? And I'm saying, well, Balia is generally speaking town or townland. Beg is biog, small, so it means small town. And they go, oh, great, I should have known that. So what I did is I put a glossary of simple terms at the back. So all those places from home that people recall fondly, by just translating them, it's like the key into what happened there. So it was like Dunnaud, Donegal, well, then it's the, fort, the fortress of the of the foreigner. In this case, it would have been more than likely the English, whereas Fingal in North County Dublin is the clan or the sect or the, 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 the territory of the foreigner. And in that case, it's probably Old Norse. It's probably Viking and uh, Brian Brew and all the rest. So there's, there's a glossary of simple terms in there. And then also what I said I do at the back, and I think it was a great idea, even though I say so myself, <laughs> is I put this um, journal whereby you can collect, or just from memory, write down your own favorite ones. So if at the back of your house there was a Murphy's Lane, you can write it down, Murphy's Lane, named after Cornelius Murphy in 1860, who was a very kind landlord. Uh, this used to be the lane to his house. It's now a terrace of houses. You know, you can make a note of those things. When you put the book back on the shelf, which is one of the great things about books and not the Internet, uh, well, I suppose it's true of the Internet too. It's there forever. So when a great-grandchild takes it down and opens it and says, look, my great-great-granddad or my great-great-grandmam wrote down Murphy's Lane. Is that now Ponsonby Place or something? You know what I mean? It's, so it's for people who are curious about those who walk these streets and fields before us, the book really is a journey through the evolution of the place names, through the French and the Huguenot and the modern ones and the Celtic Tiger ones. And I'm suggesting that perhaps in the, as we go forward, it's now our turn to name places, that we would... We would do it respectfully. Maybe, you know, if, if we went for the Bel Airs and all those fancy aspirational names during the Celtic Tiger, sure, let, let them stay. They tell something about us. Why would they call them after Californian addresses? Because they had loads of money and no sense back in those years. But then, in the 2000s, we now have a, stay, a Manila Park named to honor all the Filipino nurses and doctors who gave so much during the pandemic of 2020-21. Or, um, or we could have, you know, an estate called on Folonin, Little Poland, because we have so many young Polish families who are sending children to Grailskolina in, in Ireland now. So we, we can mark, we can leave our little note under a stone for people in the way that we name places going forward. And that's what I would love to see. So I'm doing TV shows now as well on the same subject, and people seem to be lapping them up. So um, just this week, in fact, uh, the first episode of a new series on television, they're called Creedence Atlas, and the Golden or RTE1, Creedence Atlas of Ireland. Um, but the book is called That Place We Call Home, and I'm like a, I'm like a, I'm like a kid in a sweet shop. I'm delighted with myself. <laughs> that, that comes across, John. When you talk about the episode this week, you know, we're all very familiar, as you say, with Balia and Kill and even Tubber yeah. and some of the others, but I noticed you covered Butterfield. Um, and, and of course, yeah. that's, that's an interesting one because we have this assumption that most Irish place names come from the Irish language in one form or another. That, 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 that's exactly what I thought as a little boy going through it on the way to Shannon. That would have been the regular route for us, dropping my sister to Shannon on her way to New York um, or a sister going to Vancouver or wherever else it might be. Um, 
going through Buttervent. I always thought, what a funny name. Is it a butter road? Like long ago, there were a lot of butter roads led to Cork because Cork was one of the biggest producers of butter and hide and gunpowder in the world. Reason being, the British Navy, Cork Harbour was their last port to call before they hit the big Atlantic Ocean. So if they were going to the West Indies or Canada or the States, then they, they, we were like the last service station, you know, last petrol, last, last fresh water for 3,000 miles. <laughs> last um, gas, last so, gas station um, before you cross back into Canada. <laughs> That's it, that's it. So, obviously, they, they took on board fresh water. So, there was a thriving industry in Cork in terms of, that's why even, I'd, I'd love to kind of do tour, tour guiding at some stage, because some of the fascinating things, even about the food locally in Cork, corned beef, your original corned beef, now I'm talking about a lump of Silverside or whatever beef, you know, um, stored in brine and whatever the mix is, spiced beef, all those grew up in, into the Cork kind of diet because of the British Navy. We were rendering beef and, and packing butter and fresh water for those ships in huge quantities altogether. So what happened was um, the, the, the locals obviously got a taste for salted beef, and really it is a Cork classic, and I have to say it's one of my favourites. Um, but also the poor of Cork learned to live off the scraps. So the old crew beans and the pig's head. My father would eat pig's head all the time. And I remember someone once saying to me, um, how do you eat a pig's head? And, and the answer was, grab him by the ears and chew the face off. <laughs> and the other, the, the other one that someone said to me disparaging me once upon a time, because there was so much slaughtering and because even pig's tails, you can still buy them in the English market for 10 pence each or something. You know? But, but my, someone said to me, what's the only part of the pig that the cock crow don't eat? And I said, I don't know. I said, the oink. <laughs> everything, every, everything else in the thing is consumed. Except these last words. Sorry, that's terrible now. But, but, uh, so anyway, that's 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 kind of our story here in Cork. But Buttervent, yeah, sorry, I got off track again. Buttervent, I was wondering, is it in Dubai or was it Boher something? Is it the road or something? And eventually, one day, by pure accident, I was driving into Fota Estate, and in in East Cork not in Buttervent at all, around 50 miles away from it, I suppose. And um, as I turned in the gate, there was this big, huge limestone lion on top of the, you know, impressive entrance to the estate. And written in huge letters in the stone, chiseled in there, was Boutet on Avant. And I thought, bingo, I've got it. The Debarry family. That was their, that must have been their coat of arms. That must have been their motto. So I checked, and sure enough, I hit the jackpot. Boute on Avant literally means, I suppose, strike out while advancing. And I know you guys probably speak better French than I do over there, but anyway, Boute on Avant um, literally means, like, strike out in advancing, I guess. And that was the battle cry of the, the Barry clan. And they were remarkable people. They were originally, if you go back far enough, they were Viking, like all the Normans were. They settled in the north of France, did a deal with the king of France that they'd stop raping and pillaging and causing trouble if he would give them lands in northern France, which they did. But being ever hungry, they decided to invade England. They were involved in the invasion of Hastings, the Battle of Hastings and all of that. If you look at the Bayou Tapestry, you will see that actually the boats they were using were actually akin to the Viking longboats anyway. So they went from being French Normans to being Anglo-Normans. They settled the Barry clan in particular, Hugo de Barry, was one of the first of them. He settled in Wales. He was, took lands there. Up the road from him in Cumbria was Strongbow. So the next thing is, here's the Irish connection, MacMorrow in, in Leinster, King of Leinster, had been turfed off his lands by the, the Breffney men and by the men of Connacht, and his people were now starving. 
and he'd been dispossessed of his lands and his title and everything else, he sent, not Donegal, which was probably about five days overland, he sent across the water to Strongbow, whom he would have known anyway because of trading between the East Coast and the Wedge Coast, and said, here's the deal, will you come in, batter these guys off my lands, you bring in your archers and your fabulous fighting men, come in as mercenaries, get these guys off my land, reinstate me as King of Leinster, and you can, of course, marry my daughter, Aoife. I believe there was something going on between Strongbow and Aoife. Anyway, they would have known each other from trade and so on. So that was the deal that was struck. Strongbow gave a few more noblemen a call, and the Barrys were amongst them. So a couple of shiploads headed over, and they battered the, 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 the people who were in Leinster out of there. They went back to Cavan, and they were driven back to Connacht and so on. Um, MacMurrow was reinstated as King of Leinster, uh, Strongbow married his wife. When the father-in-law died, Strongbow turned around and says, Great, that now makes me the King of Leinster. To which he was told, Uh-uh, sorry buddy, you're in Ireland now, it's Brehan Law. She's the Queen of Leinster, you happen to be her husband, no more, no less. And anyways, but part of the raiding party included the Barrys, and they were given lands that ran all the way from Buttevant to Fota. They ran in kind of an arc behind Cork City, and Buttevant was their most northerly and westerly defensive position and they built actually what they also call a boot font which is like a castle or a stockade but they built in stone and the native Irish would not have been used to this it would have been timber palisades that we were using at the time so really the Normans were a real force and the town adopted the name on the coat of arms of the Barry clan and that's how a town that was known as and is still known in Gaelic as Kilnamalach which is the church of the summits is now known as Boutafon. And you'd say, how did that end up there? That's, that's the answer. And there are loads of other interesting stories. I find them fascinating anyway. Just, I'm, ju- I'm just fascinated by the people who walked these, as I say, streets and fields before us. So when I was a little boy crossing Patrick's Bridge in Cork City, I'd often think to myself, I'd be doing these little mini tours in my head of Cork and, uh, and thinking about um, Queen Victoria crossed over here for the Cork exhibition. She crossed over here in a carriage in 1901. Can you imagine? Uh, John F. Kennedy, in 1963, was waving from an open-top car as he passed over Patrick's Bridge in Cork, not knowing, of course, that within a few months in Dallas, the worst possible outcome would occur. Um, Michael Collins probably sauntered after a few points, probably swaggered across Patrick's Bridge. And I'm walking on the footpaths that these people... You know, this is actually the spot. And so that sense of place, I suppose, runs very deep in me. And and it's not just my own place. When I'm in, for argument's sake, if I was in St. John's in Newfoundland, I'd be watching the ships coming and going and having a peep at where they're from. Oh, that's from, you know, New Brunswick. Or, oh, God, that one's from Greenland. And I'm wondering how, you know, just just curious about, about where we come from and... The human condition, I suppose, and and place to me is very important. I'll tell you why, Austin. Even recently, as you know, and I'm not sure what the story in Canada is, we have quite a lot of, when I say a lot of, uh, mental health issues. A lot of people aren't doing well with lockdowns, um, with addictions. You know, life is tough, always has been, I suppose. And I firmly believe that a strong sense of place or a love of place is hugely beneficial to your mental health. Like, when, if, if, if you're, like, for example... You're an Irishman in Canada. When you come home, and like there's just that lift when you see those hills, and you realise, Christ, they're still there. Look at them, the comers are, you know, um, or when, when when a Dubliner who might be working in a fairly menial job on small money stands on Hill 16 
and the doves run out onto Crow Park and there's a tingle runs down the spine. You're with your tribe. Or a Sligo man or woman returns home and there's that bend on the road where they get their first glimpse of Ben Bulban. It's that feeling. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it, it's, it's a sense of connection. And I feel that in spades. And I know I got it for my mom and dad because my mother's heartbeat used to increase the further west we went. And so I, I just love place. That's really what it is, I suppose. So, John, I want to throw a few names at you briefly because, as I said in the intro there, where I live outside Ottawa, just east of Ottawa, there's a place called Navan. Yes. And, and I know why it's called Navan there. But what's intriguing is the Irish form of Navan is Anuav. Yeah. Do you know what happens there? Uh, again, no, I'm not, I'm not, none of this is definitive. And one of the joys of place names is you can spend hours in pubs talking and even arguing about place names is that it's not, it's not a precise science. You can take the, the, you can take the, you can try and crack the code with the keys you've got. And that's basically the words. But one of the things about Navin, like, as you say, first of all, it's a penendrome, which is interesting. It spells the same backwards and forwards, now that you, now that you mention it. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about on translates as the tomb or the, the grave. But what happens quite a bit with the transliteration of Irish words, not translation, because translation, strictly speaking, they would, they would call the place the grave. But to transliterate, as you know, means to make it sound English so that an English person could pronounce it. And, and that's what happened during the translations, as you call it, the, uh, the book, uh, the play by Brian Freel. That's what was going on. The British, in fairness to them, in fairness to them, they mapped this place well, six inches to the mile. We're the most mapped uh, island on the planet. And uh, the, the place name survey was a kind of an add-on that took a couple of years as well because a guy called Larkham up in Phoenix Park who was collating all the information coming in over this huge 10-year survey of Ireland where they recorded every laneway, holy well, crossroads, any ambush site, the quality of the land, everything was mapped by the British Army, everything. But the names were coming back in different forms, like Larkham was in Dublin trying to process a report about there being 15 vintners in the town of D-I-N-G-E-L, and some other sapper was talking about their big, the quality of the roads in D-I-N-G-L-E, and somebody else was saying, in this town known as Dangan, so they were saying, Larkham said, lads, 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 stop, I've got to get a place names expert on the case, and that's where John O'Donovan came in, and he spent about 10 years with his team of merry place name gatherers, compiling 64,000, every single townland in Ireland has been logged, the origins, the meanings, the transliterations, and the detail, and they're all safely stored, thankfully, in the National Archives, uh, whereas we lost, as you know, a lot of our records in the Shelley mm-hmm. and the Forecourt. We do have all the place name field books. So, but one of the things about what makes Navin interesting for me, it's very like the Nall. Um, in Dublin, there's a place called the Nall, but Osquelga, it's on oil, the cliff. But what happens is, in the transliteration, so that English people could pronounce it, or so an English army officer would recognize it or, or spell it, um, they just spelt it N-A-U-L, Nall because that's how the locals would pronounce it. And where are you going to? No, the, I'm going to Dead Cliff. But the A in the on, in the A-N, in the first word, got dropped, and it just became, it slid over to Nall. And that happened with quite a few words, and Navin would be another one. So what the locals were calling it, Onuv, Onuv, or whatever. So the, the English here could hear an N and a V, and they obviously went for Nuv, Nuv, and it, it just transliterates into Navan. But an interesting one I discovered, the Manx word for Aaron is very similar. It went from un Aaron to Neren, 
That's what they call us in Manx, Neren. The, the, the A just got dropped off the start of it, off the first word, and the N slid over to the Aaron to make it Neren. So that would be my understanding of Navin in general terms. So I hope I hope made the target with it. Animals pop up all over the place, and cows quite a bit, even in strange words like, like Ballyferreter, is strictly speaking. It's called Ballyonairtig, which is the, the town of the Ferreter family. But it's originally, and the one that's preferred locally, is bull teens. And bull teens are bo is from the cow bit, t is from houses, and een, little houses. So bull teens means the little cattle houses. And that's where cattle will be kept until the dealer arrived. So people will bring their cattle down from the mountain, and there were these little corral, if you will. And the Irish word for it was bull teens, little, little houses. And there's a place I mentioned to you there about my father, uh, speaking of Cane Corabula. To me, that sounded like Hawaii until I cracked the code. And I think I have it. Cane is a step or a way or a path. So Cane, Cora, Cora like the Cora of Kildare, flat grassland, usually soft, wet, flat grassland, and uh, Bula of the, of the cattle sheds. So Cane Corabula is the path through the pasture land where the cow sheds are. To me, that's just so beautiful. And, and animals pop up in loads of our place names, including animals that are now extinct in Ireland. Like, not far from here is a place we know as Nad. Its full name is Nad O'Niller, the Eagle's Nest. Now, they're reintroducing this, the, the eagles here. We have places like Cantork, Kjown Turk, the head of the boar. Boars are now extinct here. Wild boar are extinct. Now, that wild boar, as it turns out, refers to um, a crest for the town anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Moktira, isn't that a beautiful term? Moktira translates as son of the countryside, and that's the Irish word for a wolf. And the Irish wolf, which was a huge beast, very big variety of wolf, as it turns out, is also extinct here. And then, But they survive in our place names. And to me, that's one of the reasons why they're so important. Myra Bocati, the Irish poet, she once said that if you're of an Irish disposition, or of a Gaelic disposition, then the language is not only your language. She said it's the key into your psyche. It's why you think that way. It's why you feel that way about, about sheepdogs and collies. It's why you, why you have such a deep sense of place. It's about why you use terminology that you don't know where you got it, or why your granny used to always say this. Um, so basically, my Irish still isn't brilliant by any manner of means, but any few little words that you pick up at all, they do provide keys to, ah, that's why my mother would always say this. Or, is that why there are layers upon layers upon layers? And once you start peeling them back, they reveal things to you, you know? And uh, I'm fascinated by the language and by cultures, you know? And our own is a rich one. It's a good one. It's what to be proud of, really. And that's a good one for us to wrap up on, John, because uh, I know time is precious. As, and what I want to do as we finish up is wish you and all yours a very happy St. Patrick's Festival time. And that period is when, when it's so proud to be Irish. Credence Atlas is the television series name. Okay. The book itself is called That Place We Call Home. That Place okay. We Call Home by John Creedence. Gill are the publishers. Gill, Ireland, I think. G-I-L-L. So. And, and your time slot on RTE in Eastern Time is 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., as far as I recall. Yep. And it'd be 8 to 10. That's it. John, I really do want to thank you for taking the time. And it's been fascinating. I know we could talk for hours, we could talk for hours, but again, there are not hours to talk. And come here, give my love to Canada. It's my second most favourite country in the world. <laughs> John Creedon, thanks a million. Thanks so much, Austin. God bless. Bye. Bye.